The Nigeria film industry is one of the most recognized in the world, often mentioned next to Hollywood and Bollywood. It's a relatively young industry filled with many passionate talents looking to make their mark through the stories they tell. As a young, aspiring filmmaker who wants to stand out, where do you look for guidance? How about we start with one of Nigeria's finest? His work has traveled the world, his films have been incredibly well received, and the best part, he hit the spotlight young. In 2006, there's uh, a popular black British magazine called BFN. They write on film, music, and media. And that was almost like the first time that a filmmaker from my age was featured in a magazine like that. Kenneth Giang is a 2018 AFS fellow at University of Southern California School of Cinematic Arts. A graduate of the prestigious Yave European Producers Workshop, and co-founder of the film production company Cinema Patapata. The company's first feature film script, Confucian Nawa, secured funding from Hubert Baal's fund in Netherlands. The finished film won Best Film and Best Nigerian Film at the 2013 African Movie Academy Awards, as well as the jury prize at the 2014 Pan-African Film Festival in Los Angeles. The Lost Café, his second feature, was the audience prize winner at the Africa International Film Festival in Nigeria and Golden Palm winner at the 2018 Mexico International Film Festival. His third feature film, Oluture, had a private screening at Creative Arts Agency in Los Angeles and had its premiere at the 2019 Carthage Film Festival, the oldest and biggest film festival in Africa and the Arab world. In 2010, Kenneth was listed by the popular Nigerian youth culture magazine, Y, as one of 50 people under the age of 35 that will change Nigeria. In December 2013, Kenneth was chosen as one of 100 Guardians of the Future, honored by the President of Nigeria at Aso Rock Villa in recognition of his contribution to the Nigerian film industry. In this episode of I Am Change podcast, I talk to him about his work, and what it takes to make it young in Nollywood. Hi, Kenneth. You're welcome to I Am Change podcast. It's really nice to have you here. Thank you, Corrida. It's actually good to be here as well. All right. Awesome. So the first question I want to ask you is, at what point did you know that you wanted to be a filmmaker? Um, to be honest, that would be when I was, when I was just out of secondary school and I, well, the idea was that I wanted to be on radio, you know, because I thought I had voice for radio. I didn't know my voice is this tiny, right? <laughs> so um, I was actually looking for a school that I could study communications or something. So one day I was just walking down the street and I saw a poster advertising the National Film Institute. And I didn't know there's a film school in Jaws. But before then, I had been sending a lot of letters to universities. Then they used to send us a brochure via regular mail. And I used to have some things from University of Florida. So when I saw the sign that there's a film school in Jaws, that day I went to the film school to go and inquire about it. But at first, as I said, I wanted to be on radio. And then I thought that I could do a little bit of acting as well. Hmm. But when I got there, because I had the flair for writing, since secondary school, I've been writing as well. But I didn't know that I could be a film writer. Hmm. So when I went to the film school, 
I did a certificate course. And that was when I discovered that, oh, okay, I probably might have the talent for this. And I think the major game changer was that I wrote a short film okay. that was during a production workshop because there was days the production workshops where we're going to have external people coming in. And there was this guy that came in from the United States of America and he's made some very cool music videos and he came in to talk to us. His name is TK Tonight. And so during the workshop, you know, you're supposed to write stories and they're going to select it. So mine was selected and it was made. And even though I was ecstatic about that, but I didn't like the interpretation of what was made. So I just told myself that next time I'm just going to write myself. I'm going to make sure I direct it because I want my interpretation to just come out. Mm -hmm. So yes, that is pretty much what kickstarted the whole journey for me. Okay. What course were you doing? Was it a directing course, production? What was it? In school. So at the NFI, it is called um, SPD. That is scripting, producing, and directing. directing. Oh, okay. But so so it's, so it, it's it's one course, but then of course my major was just writing and directing. Okay, okay, fancy. Was there any point when you were in school that you doubted your choice of career? Well, to be honest with you, I have always been a very positive person. And even though when I went to the NFI, we had maybe two or three graduating classes because the school started from 1995 with, you know, certificate courses and then maybe diploma. But we didn't really have seniors out there in the industry that have been making anything that we could have some sort of reference point. There was no reference point for us. But I was very optimistic because... I, I delved into reading a lot of things from other parts of Africa and I was seeing what other filmmakers were working on. I was not really inspired by what I was seeing around the industry. The industry then had people like um, Izo Chiku that I think is great and and he was some sort of the, the role model I could see if I'm going to make a reference to Nigerian films because he was making the sort of films with the sort of with the sort of quality that I was aspiring to make. But then when you look beyond the shores of Nigeria and you go to maybe Senegal and Mali and Burkina Faso, you had filmmakers like um, Idrissa Wadrego or Gaston Kabori who were making the sort of films that I like, the sort of Africa that I actually wanted to see in terms of quality, in terms of culture and all of that. Mm. So because of the film school, I had access to a lot of that in the library. So I could watch their films. I could actually read news from what is happening from those countries, even though internet wasn't as... As popular. Uh, internet wasn't everywhere like it is today. Yeah. Exactly. Now, I'm not sure if it was. So being in the library and reading all of that, I realized that, yes, there are actually successful filmmakers out there because if Idrissa Wadrigo is going to work on a film, you're going to see that maybe his budget is... Uh, 2 million euros or 3 million euros and 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 for me if those guys could access that sort of funding I felt that I could be able to access that sort of funding as well in 2006 there's uh, a popular black British magazine called BFN they write on film music and media and and that was almost like the first time that um, a filmmaker from my age right was featured in a magazine like that because I think I was probably be 20 or 22, I can't remember. Okay. That was... Um, you were featured. Time. Yes, I was featured in a magazine, yes. It's, okay. a, it's a UK magazine. Okay. And you know the funny thing? Mm. That was after I came back from the... Because I, I, I went to Berlin. Mm. 
talent campus. And and so in Berlin, because my short film was an official selection, it, it put me out there. And so people wanted to talk about me and interview me and all of that stuff. So do you know the magazine was printed? I'm looking at the magazine right now as I'm talking to you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The magazine was printed, but I didn't have access to it because I don't live in the UK. So mm-hmm. it was somebody who interviewed me for a BBC job in 2006, mm-hmm. David Lawson, mm-hmm. that actually emailed me the, the copy of the magazine. I mean, he bought it for me in the UK and just emailed me. And he didn't even tell me about it. I just saw a mail and I just saw that it was from David Lawson. So all of that shaped my belief that I could actually be successful and success, of course, will come with money. You had a, quite a bit of international exposure when you first started out. I mean, something that um, I'd like to talk about. But before that, what was your first project? Whether a short film or a feature, what was it? The first short film I did, I did a short film in school. And, and I was, it was basically a commentary about corruption in Nigeria and the high-handedness of security officials. Yeah, so that was the one that got you in the magazine, right? Was it that one? No, it's not that one. What was the project that was picked up by the magazine? So I made a short film called Mommy Lagos, which is yeah, a, a short film that I did. I wanted to enter the competition in Berlin. Okay, and that okay. was what took me to Berlin. And that was what the magazine saw. Yeah. On a serious note, though, mm. if you want to learn about demand and supply, mm. that's how it is done. My phone was stolen today. I don't know how they managed to get it from my pocket, but they did, and now they want me to buy it back. Make me sure and make us say we get in whole phone book and say we feel just, you know, more than in marriage. You know, just want any nonsense from that guy. Make you not try me. Baby? Yes. I'm pregnant. Are you sure? This guy loves your wife. This is not trouble. Me, I'm your friend. So I just want to stay close so that nobody fuck up. What thing they do? You never see the make guy. Be like person with are you a maker? Yes. Whoa. Tell your friend I'm coming after him. Confucian Nawa, Kenneth's first feature film, is a dark comedy about a group of strangers whose fates become intertwined over the course of 24 hours. And at the heart of everything is a mobile phone. The budget wasn't huge, the marketing wasn't major, but Confucian Nawa will most likely remain one of the most important films in Nigeria film history. This country will be better without people like you! I'm not only talking about this corrupt woman, I'm talking about all of you! Spare me all the economic lectures, please, okay? Confucian Nawa, he made such a buzz, it was very well received. How old were you when you made that film? I can't remember, to be honest, but I think it was... Um, maybe I was like in my mid twenties or so. Okay, I made it in two thousand and ten, mm. but every the world got to see it in two thousand and thirteen. Oh, okay. So at that time, yeah. how did you fund the film? Because I mean, we know that filmmaking is expensive, and what was the budget to start with? The budget for Confucian was about fifteen thousand euros. We applied for funding from Hubert Balls in Netherlands, and and we applied and we got a digital grant of twenty thousand euros to make a film. Mm. So we got some of our friends and we got some of these actors who were willing to work on the project for free or for. I mean, we weren't really paying them the official rates that mm. was there in the industry. Even with that budget, you got some big actors. How did you pull that off? I worked with Aline Ho and Ramsey Noah, and they didn't collect any money for the film. They basically just wow. worked on it for free. Wow. How did you get them to do because that? Because they like the script, yes. 
it was about the script. Yeah, it was just about the script. They just read the script and just liked it. Fantastic. So as a filmmaker, who or what are your biggest influences that affect your work? As a filmmaker, I, I actually like the works of the South American directors like Alejandro Gonzalez, Narito. I mean, all of these guys, they, they actually shoot films that are true to the environment. And I like the thinking and I like the fact that when they started, they were not really bothered with the huge aesthetics of Hollywood in terms of car crashes or blasts or, I mean, making films for pure entertainment value. It's just, it's not about escapism, it's about telling stories. Coming from Africa, I'm coming from Nigeria, I just felt that that is a sort of canvas I should work with. Oloture, no doubt the biggest Nigerian film of 2020. It is the country's first crossover film around the world. Within just one week of its release on Netflix, it's made it to the top 10 most watched list in more than two dozen countries across the globe. The film follows the story of investigative journalist Oloture, who has gone undercover for a story on sex trafficking. Except things get complicated and we are taking on one heck of a ride with the film's characters. After watching Oloturi, I had so many questions I had to ask Kenneth. So, Oloturi, even if I don't remember anything else, I remember how Oloturi made me feel after watching it. Watching it, I was hit with this overwhelming realization that people actually go through all of this in real life. So the first question I want to ask you, Kenneth, is why this story? Why did you choose to make this film? Well, um... For me, because it's a very personal film, and as I always say, I always like to make films about things that I see around me. I don't always like creating fantasies. Maybe in the future I could make, I mean, a fantasy film, but I always just want to make films that I could actually, that people around me can just relate with. And for me, that is what, that is what makes a film to be really, really universal. And, and that is what Lottery has been able to show. I've been to places like maybe Luxembourg, where it is a very small country, very elitist, and I still see some of these sisters, I mean, from Africa, in all these corners, and especially, of course, because I went out with Nigerian and he was telling me about um, the fact that these ladies are Nigerians and all of that. So that, for me, is a very, very personal um, film, and when they approached me with that story, because already I was working on a trafficking story as well, I just instantly connected. And yes, I just agreed to do that. So what did you intend to leave the audience with? Well, for me, at the end of the day, I just wanted to make a film that is going to cast a lot of lights on the plight of some of these ladies who get trafficked. And I wanted Nigerians to be angry. But now I think it's almost like the whole world is talking about it. So it's not just Nigerians that are talking about it. The world is talking about it. And that was what we wanted from the beginning get people to talk and then try to see if there's going to be a policy in place where these young ladies can be protected. And I mean, in terms of from looking at it from how the audience felt and reacted, you did get what you wanted, which is good. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm thinking there must have been a great deal of research that went into making the film. Can you tell us mm-hmm. about that? Walk us through that. We actually did a lot of research. I mean, personally, because I was already working on a trafficking story, so I've read a lot of um, stories. I've had radio, um, radio documentaries from the BBC and all of that. And 
And so, as I said, my personal encounter with some of them, but filming in Lagos, coming back to a lot right now, mm-hmm. we went to a lot, of, a lot of places. I mean, they're on the belly of Lagos where some of these ladies are because I wanted to see how they actually live. I want to have an idea how um, they are treated, I mean, how they're. So, yeah, it was actually a lot of research because we wanted to bring that authenticity. And that's what we've been able to do with, 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 with Olotere. Mm. So, Olotere is not the first film to deal with the subject of sex trafficking. One example I can think of is Joy. Have you seen Joy, by the way? Yeah, I've seen Joy. Yeah. yeah. So, when you were working on Olotere, between production and pre-production, did you think about um, how you wanted your film to stand out from the crowd? Yeah, but like, I mean, I've always made films that are very different from other people. Yeah. Um, yeah, because like for me, as a filmmaker, as an artist, you have to have a personal stamp. And I always have a personal stamp because I see myself as an author. I just don't make film because I just want to make film or because like I'm looking for money and all of that stuff. First of all, the money is going to come, but the money is going to come based on the fact that people can actually identify you with a certain style. And that is what's what, because I come from... Um, background of a film school so I already have that ego in my head that this is the sort of I mean person I am so I don't really look at I mean other people's um, film and see it that okay maybe I need to do a film like that in terms of like okay I'm working on a trafficking story so maybe I'm going to look at I mean joy no I haven't so you could actually see that joy has a very different style it is very very That's European yeah. and ours is actually very different because ours is a creature and it's almost like I mean, we're always on the go with some of these characters, right? So, and, and, and I was really celebrating um, the music of Nigeria as well, I mean, in the oh, film, because growing up, it is something that I usually associate with that, like the authentic, the authentic music of Nigeria, where all, the kind of music that I always hear, like some of our parents, like, I mean, all these bars back in the day, like, I mean, when they're drinking and you're passing by, you're hearing Pongo Makosa, and of course, like, as in those highlight music playing mm. all right brilliant so before the first day on set i'm curious what were your biggest concerns making the film i mean was there anything in particular you were worried about i wanted to make sure you got right to be honest with you no like i mean i didn't because i did a lot we did a lot of work on the during the pre-production mm-hmm. and i'm very meticulous and i have a very good team um james amota is a very good producer Jemedayo Abudu, excellent producer. Then there's Heidi as well, who is the uh, head of program at Body Life Films. And of course, there's um, Miss Moore. So everybody was, I mean, up to speed with what we're doing. So I didn't have anything that I was actually worried about because I'm a very, very confident filmmaker when I set out to do something. The only thing was that it was just a challenge where we're going to film the border scene. But then apart from that, I mean, everything for me, I just, because I had already seen the film in my head, so I knew that there was not going to be any sort of challenge. I mean, when I'm in pre-production, even when people are trying to raise unforeseen problems, especially, I mean, the scene with Linda and, of course, maybe the border scene, for me, these things are, I just know that, I mean, it's just going to be like as in a walk in the path if we totally plan it and we film it the way we planned it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm curious about some of the logistics of that. I mean, the border scene is one. So can you walk us through some of the... Um, no, no, we film in like I mean, very yeah, we film in very very crazy places. We film in we film in a very very crazy market like that. But they are so competent, right? I mean, the edit team and the and the producers as well that they've been able to lock down the market and we're able to film 
what we want to film because we wanted to actually showcase the whole color of the vibrancy of Africa and all of that. But then the problem is how would you actually control people like that in, 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 in the market? But we've been able to pull it through. So we've been able to pull that off actually. Apart from that, like, of course, the border scene, we've shot in a very controlled environment, but trying to create that chaos and authenticity of the border is something that um, the production designer was able to pull through because we talked with the executive producer that I told her that I'll be able to set up that scene at Eco Atlantic City, and I told her we're just going to use the facades, right? I mean, for the border gate. And that's what we've been able to do. The cinematographers were Malcolm. I mean, he was very helpful because, I mean, he's an experienced cinematographer. So, yeah, putting all our heads together, we've been able to pull some of those difficult scenes, I mean, easy. So, for me, the major thing is not about the, the set pieces in terms, of, in terms of how it looks. For me, I think it's about dealing with the emotions of the girls because mm. I had to deal with Sharon Uja's emotion before the, the rape scene. I had to actually prepare her, I mean, for that because... You don't know what people are, have gone through in their lives and you don't know what, what will actually trigger. blow up as what it might just trigger. So you need to just like be very, very careful in, in, with sensitive scenes like that. And it's again, the, the ritual scene. Mm. I had to actually spend a lot of time trying to talk to the girls and all of that so that we'll be able to film that. And so people are just going to be in a very good place. So yeah, I mean, for me, Dealing with the emotions of the ladies is much more complicated than dealing with, with the set piece because that one has already been planned for. Absolutely. I mean, now that you're speaking about the actors, their performances were brilliant. I mean, Sharon was phenomenal. Omoni, boss lady, Imzeribe, I mean, he was amazing. Omaomi, even Beverly, who hardly said anything. She had such a screen presence. How did you think your <laughs> cast? <laughs> I mean... So what would you say makes great performances? Was it your magic touch or the combination of, you know, different things? Um, first and first, I always believe that, and I always know that Nigerian actors are really talented. Mm. I remember that in 2012, I was, I recommended an actor for a project that, um, that was sponsored by the BFI in, in, in the UK. And even though, of course, when people want to come and film a Nigerian story, they always want to film with, I mean, a UK actor believing that maybe Nigerians cannot pull it off and all of that. But I was able to sell that actor and he was able to deliver. My point is this, right? Nigerian actors have consistently been delivering. The problem is with the filmmakers and the storytellers. If you give someone a bad script with bad lines and you don't actually pay attention to the details, of course, what is going to come out on screen will be horrible. And especially, of course, with the cinematography. So no, like, I mean, with the actors, they performed because I sat down, I did a one-on-one with them. We were cool and we went through their characters and they gave me suggestions and I gave them my own suggestions and we actually agreed. And they understood the importance of this film and why I'm actually doing this film. And they just gave their 100%. And, and, and that's it. And I made sure that I gave each one of them. I mean, you're dealing with a lot of egos. It's a lot of ladies on set. Mm-hmm. And they're all stars in their own rights. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to make sure that I go in there and I make sure that all of them feel loved and that I believe in them. And, and, and that's how I was able to, to pull that off. Mm, brilliant. Now, the ending. Mm. The ending that got people talking. 
some love it, some don't. I mean, others don't know what to think. And the question mm-hmm. that, that is on a lot of people's minds is, why did you end the film that way? No, no, because I, the truth is this. The reality of these girls, that is how it is, right? I mean, they get traffic and then they, they get to Europe, even if they have their passport, they collect, their passport gets collected from them. And then they are just like, I mean, not even part of, uh, of the census in those countries they're in. Nobody knows them, right? So just like the line that Shooks mentioned in the film, you know, like when he's saying that, um, you know, even smell like prostitute, right? I know actually when I see one, he said like, when I could actually kill you here and then nobody's even going to know you're just going to be another dead Ashao, right? So that is, that is what it is. That is the reality of these ladies. And, and someone sent me a quote and said that, like, you know, Achebe said, I mean, tragedy does not have a happy ending. So, and that's how it is. We just have to just live with the reality and, and talk about it. I think our average should not be about the end of the film. It should be about making sure that we talk to the policymakers so that they can do something about this. That's all. Now, to put some people's minds at rest, are you planning for a part two? And yeah, I've been seeing, I mean, a lot of tweets from all over the world. Everybody's talking about um, part two. They're tagging me. They're tagging Netflix Nigeria. Some people are tagging Netflix Brazil and Netflix France. I mean, everywhere, right? <laughs> Honestly, uh, the film doesn't have any parts two. Mm. So we should just live with the reality of these ladies and, and just go out there and just talk about this. And let's just see what we can just do about effectively changing our own society. So one final thing, a question from Twitter. What is next for Lottery after the border crossing? We know there's no part two here, but let's imagine (laughs) our future. (laughs) What's next? Our future, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like my producer will always say, James Amuta, he will always say that we have given a lot of people the liberty to write the ending of Olotre for themselves. So I won't be the one to just like think about how, what is next. Like I have it in my head. Everybody's just going to have their own ending in their heads. And yeah, that is actually what makes people to be imaginative. Hmm. <laughs> you have successfully dodged the question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you haven't seen Olotre, I recommend you do. It's available on Netflix. Meanwhile, have you ever wondered how filmmakers get rich? I mean, how many films can you make in a year? Kenneth has been working in film since 2006 and Olotere is his fifth feature film. How do they do it? Yeah, so does all your money come from exploitation of the films you've made? Well, to be honest with you, I'm not sure there's any filmmaker in the world that will say that all his, the money that he makes in life comes from exploitation of the films that he makes in terms of films. So I asked that question because, you know, people might be wondering, how does it work? Like, how do you make money as a filmmaker? You work on TV series, you work on commercials, and sometimes you do consultations and all of that. So, yeah, it comes from all sorts of sources. But the films are there because they are the reference that people are going to use in giving you a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically, sometimes you can just be, I mean, a gun for hire. But the way mm-hmm. I work is that I'm not really keen about working as a gun for hire for films. I would rather just do TV series and commercials and documentaries and maybe do consultations because I have 
a certain aesthetic in in the way I see my I make my films. And if you're not going to give me that, then I'm not just going to dive into making any sort of film because those films are the references that I use in making money, in getting in getting other jobs. So I don't really want to just do any kind of film that is not going to be up there with all the films that I've made. Okay, that makes total sense. So mm-hmm. do you think there are any right or wrong reasons to want to become a filmmaker? Well, I mean, maybe you can't say I want to get into the industry because I just want women, for instance, or I can't get into the industry because I want men to see me and mm. so... It's just going to make me popular and it makes me popular. It means I'm going to have access to coming to some men. It is a reality in the industry, but I'm saying for me, that is a negative that I can actually see. But when you want to tell your story, yes, you can get into the industry. You want to be famous. Of course, it is fine to be famous and, and it could be a driver. The thing is, you could start your journey and when you start the journey, you will realize that there's a curve because you know how it is in film when you write a script. They say one man starts a journey, a different man arrives at the journey's end. Yeah. So um, for someone who wants to start, what advice would you give them? Can you provide some sort of roadmap maybe for getting into the industry? And especially if you want to create work that stands out, would you suggest, okay, go to a film school? Well, um, honestly... I am a little traditional, right? And and traditional means that it is fine for you to go to a film school because film school gives you the opportunity to have a network. And most of the people that I work with right now are people that I met when I was in film school. And so from film school, I went to Imagine, which is another sort of, sort of film school, and I met more people. And from there, I went to Berlin and I met more people. So there's always a good starting point for you if you go to a film school. Mm. But if you don't want to follow that route, I'm sure there are lots of resources online now that you can always check, you can read. I will say you need to read a lot and you need to read a lot of reviews a lot. This is the roadmap that I use basically. So I went to a film school, but I was reading a lot of reviews. I was watching a lot of films and we're having conversations about those films. And we're trying to understand the deeper meanings, you know, behind the shots and behind the sequence and all of that. Mm-hmm. So it opened up my brain that when I actually write, when I'm filming, what I'm supposed to show is not supposed to be very, very superficial, basically. So if you want to get in there, that is what I'll suggest. And, and I think that you should not be driven by money at the early stage. You should think about having a good call cut, make a very good film that is going to stand up because people will always make reference to that film and the money is going to come later. Mm. All right. All right. That's fine. So you are one filmmaker who has whose work has taken him around the world. You've had a lot of international exposure. Do you think that's something that filmmakers should chase and how soon should they be looking at that? Well, for me, right at the start, I thought international. Mm. I went to Berlin Talent Campus. From Berlin Talent Campus, I went to Shikengi Talent Campus in South Africa as well. And starting at that point gives you some sort of strength and confidence in yourself. And that is from my own point of view. But I mean, this day, when you try to talk to people about thinking international, they always try to tell you that, oh, no, I mean, but it's a huge local market. But the thing is that filmmaking is very universal. We know about the American culture because they, they give us their films here. A lot of our young ladies now watch a lot of Korean series. And Korea is very far away from Nigeria. 
So yeah. and if yeah. these girls are exporting their culture here, why shouldn't you export their cu- your own oh, culture, culture to there, them as well? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Back to this finance thing for a moment. Let's say I don't want to go to film school, but I really want to make a film and I don't have much money. Is there anything I can do? Or no, what but that's that? what I said. You should actually, uh, young filmmakers should actually just get a lot of resources. Well, I'm trying to say that from my own self, I actually studied and I know that there's something called Hubert Valls Fund. And I know that, okay, if I write a good script, I can apply for funding based on the project file that I'll do. And they can give me funding, a grant to make my film. Okay, so looking for opportunities like that, that would be a good way to start. Yeah, it, it yeah. is because it is very hard for you as a newcomer to go and meet an investor. Except the person is your uncle or your father, mm-hmm. right? Or your brother. And you tell the person that you want the person to give you money to make a film, knowing that you have not made any film beyond that. And I think that there are lots of brands out there that filmmakers can have access to. Mm-hmm. These days in Nigeria, we started creating grants as well. Mm-hmm. So I know that there's a loan that has been created by the central bank to give filmmakers as much as maybe 30 million naira to make films. Mm-hmm. And, and I looked at the forms and it's actually easy to fill. So we could actually just look at some of these things as well. If you can actually apply for, I mean, for international funding, you can start locally as well. And if you're lucky and if your project file is good, and I will say that people need to study how to make project files. I mean, everything is there online. On the internet. Deck, yes. Do a deck for your film, right? And then people can be interested in sponsoring the film. Spend mm-hmm. a lot of time on paperwork and you can be able to make some money. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you for that. So before I let you go, what are you currently reading? Um, I'm currently reading Second Lives of Baba Sagi's Wife again. Ooh, and yeah, and I'm actually reading Nkuyi Wasiango's Wizard of the Crow. Like okay. people bashed that book. But I really love it. Mm. I, it's actually one of my favorite books in terms of like when I actually want to look at the situations of Africa. And Wafiango is my favorite African writer. So do, do you read mm. fiction all the time or do you mix it up as well with nonfiction? Uh, well, I mean, if I'm going to read nonfiction, it has to be maybe some... Uh, some articles by, by, by people in the academia and mm. I'm talking about research like mm. there's a big book on my table now called Colonialism and the Transition to Modernity in Africa mm. you know like I could read stuff like that but in terms of like whether I'm going to read things about oh like inspirational books no I don't read that because mm. I don't believe in them I just believe <laughs> that the, 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 the authors of those books write things that are very relevant i mean to their own environment and it, mm. and i can't actually relate to it mm. yeah because for instance if i have an idea then i actually want to create a big film studio in jones right now and of course i'm going to read that book and i'm going to see how maybe Mark Zuckerberg was able to form Facebook. But I'm not going to have the sort of support that Mark Zuckerberg had in America to start Facebook. Do you understand? Yeah, I totally so, so you can't tell me exactly. So yeah, so that's why I don't relate to some of these, I mean, books inspiring mm. you and yeah. telling you to just focus on yourself and all of that. Yeah. But I'm not a skeptic. <laughs> I just don't read them. <laughs> okay, okay, I understand. All right, thank you. Thank you very mm-hmm. much for your time. It's been really nice having you on the podcast. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. That was Kenneth Gyang, award-winning Nigerian filmmaker whose drive and ambition put him on the spotlight early in his career. Why limit yourself when the whole world can be your stage? Give a performance worth a standing ovation and take a bow. Even if you're not a filmmaker, I believe there are lessons here that will be useful for you. 
You can find Kenneth on both Twitter and Instagram as Kenneth Gang. And now, our quote of the week. Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. That one was by Leo Tolstoy. IAC Podcast is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On Twitter, we are at IAC underscore podcast. On Facebook and Instagram, we are at I Am Change Podcast. Share this podcast with your friends and please rate IAC Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. That way, more people will be able to find us. Until the next episode, continue to be the change you want to see. I am Kouridi Aziz. Hey, 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 hey,